broadcast speaks to the free thinking movement that we see emerging in the minds of today's black youth of America. African youths must be re-educated to the scientific reasoning found in natural law if this movement is to reach its full potential. Inshallah, the African American will break free of non-scientific and tribal thinking paradigms that fail to counter immoral behavior as well as limit solid economic progress in African American communities. Assalamu alaikum. The following broadcast is part two out of Africa Science, Origins of Man, and Systems of Knowledge, recorded on January 3rd, 2017. Yes! Indeed, Allah is the best of planners, the best of knowers. So birds can be extremely infectious. Likewise, knowledge can be infectious. Knowledge that has the strength to resurrect can be infectious, can be transmitted so rapidly that in time the whole society will rise up and demand a change. Isn't this what happened in the time of the prophet? Prophet Muhammad, may God's peace and blessings be upon him of Arabia. The word of the Quran spread so rapidly that in just 20 years, the whole peninsula of Arabia turned to the call of Al-Islam. And look at the great achievements that came out of the once ignorant people of the Arabian desert a people that were so backwards that learned men called them Jahiliya. But with the guidance of the Holy Quran and following the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad, these same ignorant people became the torchbearers who advanced civilization in their day and time. Now these birds sit on top of mountains, is that right? Mountains are used in religious scriptures to illustrate the enormous and towering impact that can be realized for social progress when man develops knowledge from the four material elements of nature. A knowledge and understanding that influences so broadly that over time massive powerful governments rise up, up over the lands and exert their power and influence as far as the eyes can see. The great African empires of the Egyptian dynasties advanced upon the understanding of the four material elements of nature discovered by earlier man. The Egyptians came to know that characteristics of the four material elements found in the physical environment were similarly situated or parallel traits in the human soul. They came to understand that the real man was not merely a physical creature, but rather a metaphysical creature, being both physical and non-physical, 
who can only express his feelings, thoughts, and his ideas by way of a physical medium, the human flesh body. Thus, in order for the man to elevate himself to a high level of learning and understanding, the man would first have to come into the knowledge of these four material elements and how the characteristics of these elements operate in the human soul. Now, I'm not going into any discussion on these elements and how they're expressed in the nature of man. This is a whole other subject matter within itself. We're going to keep moving on from here. Unlike other great nations that came before, the Egyptian scientists realized that following the natural patterns of only one of the four material elements resulted in a limited understanding of creation and a limited knowledge of the self. From their observations and studies of the physical environment, the Egyptians came to understand that if you combine the four material elements in different ratios, a greater material force effect could be achieved. Using mathematical reasoning, the Egyptians came into an understanding about natural law that earlier nations failed to achieve. What was this? That in nature, there should always be an opposite or concomitant event when you observe an isolated event in the natural environment. This is a necessary requirement in order for the natural environment to maintain balance, to have order, and sense to be made out of confusion. Without equality or balance, our reality would cease to make any sense. Our thinking would be regulated to nothing more than futile wandering in the mind. If under your system of reasoning or thinking or measuring, you define an object as tall, there has to be an object that is short. How would you know what tall is if there is no short? If there is light, there must be darkness. How would you know light if you never experience dark. If we find that there exists a positive charge, then there must also exist a negative charge. You see what Allah has done in his creation? This is called the law of equality and balance in the order of natural law. Thus, water is the opposite for fire and earth is opposite for air. Yet, air enhances fire and water enhances earth. When examining the Egyptian pyramids, each corner of the base square represents one of the four material elements found in nature. We know the base of a pyramid is a square, so let's take a square as a starting point. A square has four corners, and each corner makes an angle of 90 degrees. Since there are four angles, the total degrees in a square is 360 degrees. Now let's take a look at a circle. If you transverse around a circle starting at an arbitrary point on the circle, and let's call that point A, you will eventually end up where you started. From our measurements, we find that a circle, circle also contains 360 degrees. 
So a square and a circle should be somewhat interchangeable. A circle can be found to contain a square, and a square can be found to contain a circle. Now a square can also be shown to contain a triangle. If we start at one corner of the square and draw a line through the square to the opposite corner, you will create two triangles. Is that right? Do the same for the other corner of the square, and you will now find that there are four triangles. Notice that the four triangles meet at a point in the center of the square. You will find that if you use a circle instead of a square, the same pattern will result. Can you see what you created with your drawings? You are looking down the top of a pyramid. Like the four material elements can be combined to advance society to realize great industrial achievements, these four elemental attributes in the human soul can also be combined. The Egyptians, using simple math, were able to predict that if man developed all four metaphysical attributes of the human soul along similar paths, that at some point in time, all four human attributes should intersect. Simultaneously, once these elemental attributes intersect, they should start functioning as one force in the human soul to advance the human intellect. They came to understand that by combining the knowledge that arises from the study of the four material elements, a far superior process of thinking and contemplation will now come into effect. Once these material elemental forces become in sync in the human soul, the man will begin to rise and rise up high, just like the pyramids rise high over the land, high over the valleys, over the ignorant people, over the unlearned people. An intellect will rise, a mind that gives him keen vision into the mysteries of nature and himself. Don't you see that eye glaring over that pyramid on the back of that dollar bill you have in your wallet? That's right. Your government has been following in the footsteps of the great pharaohs of Egypt for a long, long time. And don't the pyramids look a lot like mountains, like the great mountains we see in our natural environment? The Egyptian elite rulers glorified this root knowledge in the edifices of the great pyramids of Egypt. The Egyptians built these great pyramidal structures as a display to future generations of men to come of what they had learned and developed. That if by chance of time, our great nation, our pharaohs happen not to be around, observe and study our great structures that we have left behind. For it is here you will learn the science of acquiring superior knowledge wisdom, and keys to dominate the human society. Now we know today that fire, earth, water, and air are not classified as elements. We know from the empirical investigations of science that these four material elements are now classified as substances and are themselves composed of what we now know of today as elements. And there are over 100 pure elements found in our physical environment. So the ancients used the classical material elements as metaphors 
to describe the nature and character of the different metaphysical forces operating in the human being, the man, or some may even say the human soul. So these pyramids were a testament to the world from the pharaohs of Egypt of what they had learned and developed from their studies of the non-physical world that influences physical matter. And not just in creation, but also in man, and particularly man's human nature and psychology. In their arrogance and self-glorification, they boast of their intellectual superiority over all of the systems of knowledge. Yet we see that the Egyptian dynasties have long passed away, a long gone by. But some of their great structures are still standing. Yet even now, these great structures built by man are slowly being degraded away by the passing of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, everything in time will pass away and come back to me. And this includes you and your structures, man. So the Egyptian empires were advanced societies of learning, realizing great achievements under their powerful rulers, the pharaohs. But the Egyptian leadership was oppressive and ruled by keeping their people locked in superstitious beliefs. The pharaoh's magicians mesmerized the populace into believing that the pharaohs were gods who possessed mystical powers over life and death. They used science and psychology to keep the masses in fear and in check. So don't get so hung up on the history of Egypt, the accomplishments of Egypt. Their day has come and gone. And don't think what they achieved has not been duplicated and not surpassed. Now the established orders of leadership today don't build pyramids, but they still glorify their accomplishments during their rule. You've heard of the Lincoln Memorial, right? The Washington Monument? Or how about the presidential libraries? Most of the former presidents of the United States have built presidential libraries which display the history of their presidency. Some are huge structures of mortar and brick. Although not as tall as the Great Pyramid of Giza, which soars 455 feet in height, the Lyndon Johnson Presidential Library reaches nearly 200 feet, almost as tall as the Pyramid of Zolzer, another great Egyptian structure. Yeah, brother, but it's still not as tall as the Great Pyramid of Giza. Okay, would you be quiet if I told you the Empire State Building in New York is over 1,000 feet tall? And this is not even the tallest structure in the world. There's a structure in Dubai that almost towers 2,000 feet tall. So, so much for the great structures of Kemet. Dear people, understand this fact. Prior to the coming of Al-Islam, 
brought by Prophet Muhammad of Arabia, all systems of knowledge in man evolved out of one of these four material elements of nature. Look, you're in a battle for the salvation of human minds. Many people all over the world have been involved in historical studies on the pharaohs of Egypt and Egyptology. Look, don't, don't try to jam me up with that old conspiracy theory, reverse psychology stuff. People, organizations, and media, so-called intellectual liberal thinkers, conservative revisionists, politicians, and the like, they've all worked really hard since 9-11 to debunk any challenges to the, to the accepted status quo lines of answers when someone questions the establishment about what the hell is going on in our country. The society has accepted the line of propaganda that people who are looking for more pertinent answers to questions not completely answered, we call these conspiracy theorists, or we call these people conspiracy theorists. Now, you might have most of the people hamstrung up, but your Jedi mind tricks, that stuff don't work on me. I am a free man in the city. The conspirators, they studied what the Egyptians had accomplished too. They studied their knowledge, their secret language, and I would even say they have advanced upon what they have learned and took what they learned to a higher level of understanding. This acquired knowledge made them an invaluable resource to leaders of nations of the ancient world, the medieval world, and the modern world that we live in today. Their influence has spread across international borders, and to ensure that they would never have any competition, their influence would never be challenged, they went to great extents to try to separate the knowledge that's hidden within the four elements. They tried to make sure that the unknowing man would never get more than bits and pieces of the knowledge that they have acquired and developed over hundreds of centuries. They wanted to make sure that only the knowledge of air was developed in this part of the world, that the knowledge of earth would only be developed in that part of the world, and that only fire would be found on this top of mountain, and so on and so on. But Allah says in the Holy Quran, it doesn't matter whether you turn your face east or west, God's knowledge and understanding can be found in all directions of the earth. Prophet Muhammad in his sunnah, said, seek knowledge even if you have to travel all the way to China. Now can't you see what Allah was addressing in Surah Al-Baqarah of the cow? Allah is saying, look Moses, why are you coming to me, complaining that they've scattered the crumbled bones of the original human soul all over the planet? Don't you know I'm aware of this? I am fully aware of their diabolical plans, their arrogant dispositions, thinking that it ain't no way possible that the common man can ever come back to life again. But Moses, 
just like those birds that you trained and sent to faraway lands, when I called them, when I called them with the voice that trained them, that trained the original human soul when it first came into existence in this physical reality, the universe, they were raised from the grave. Now, what about the clay bricks that these birds carry? Clay bricks are fired stone. Clay rocks that have been heated. Rocks, naturally occurring aggregates of minerals, are one thing. That's what David had. But to make bricks, that clay has to be heated to high temperatures. The heating drives all of the impurities out of the clay that would normally prevent the brick from becoming too hard. In science, we call this a chemical change. Once this clay is heated and the clay allowed to cool, it becomes a brick. The bricks have smooth surfaces and even edges. Now you can build great structures out of bricks that are solid through and through, and these structures could last hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. Another characteristic of bricks is that not only are they solid through and through, but they're very, very hard. What does this mean? The bricks represent scientific knowledge and results that cannot be disputed. The knowledge has been set in fired stone, meaning truth, by repeated controlled experiments, the data being scrutinized, and the final results analyzed and found to withstand the test of time. The impurities of conjectures, half-truths, lies, and falsehoods have all been removed by repeated research investigations by many different researchers all over the world. That's the heat. You have no room to wrangle and argue with this knowledge, this truth. In other words, the facts are set in stone. The results are final and not disputable. So as these birds swoop down here as I call them, every one of you that has these supernatural, superstitious, Witch doctor, animist, shanimist, pagan, or mystical concepts about God, about man, and about how creation came into existence. These birds are going to swoop down and drop these hard clay bricks right smack dab on the top of your head. This truth is going to hit you so hard, brother, with a force so great that it will knock all of these unscientific concepts and ideas right out of your head. Kind of like squeezing a wet grape and popping the seed right out. Just popping it right out. Because truth stands out over wrong thinking. Allah says in the Quran, when truth comes, it knocks the brains out of falsehood. So by the time I'm done here with this talk, I don't want anyone to charge me with assault and battery of the mind and the soul. 
Now that's my disclaimer that I, had, that I had to put out there before I proceeded any further with this topic. Now I know I digress quite a bit from the intended topic matter, so back to our subject at hand. You know, the history of time is really the history of our universe. Since the point that man evolved into a rational, sequential thinking being, one who could distinguish himself from the wild beast that roamed the earth, when he began to learn how to use the physical substances we call matter, his interaction with, it, with his environment, with the material substances such as fire, water, bronze, iron, stone, gold, silver, clay, even the wind, and his development of crude language skills. Since that point in time, man has always contemplated on his beginnings. Where did I come from? How did all this happen? How old are the physical things we see and experience in our environment? How old is the earth? How old is the sun? Why is my skin this hue of color? And who is the original man? In essence, all such questions go back to time. Now, for a few seconds here, I'd like for you to ask yourself, what really is time? What do we really mean when we say time? And what really is time? Is time something physical? Can we grasp it with our fingers, touch it with our hands? Can we smell it? Can we taste it? Can we hear it? What really is time? Let me give you the best definition in simple language. Time can be defined as the measure of the beginning and ending of any event. Time is the measure of the beginning and ending of any event. This would include events seen, events not seen, and or events experienced in our universe. For example, how long is a winter? And when does spring actually start? How long does it take the earth to make one complete rotation around its nominal axis? These are all questions of time that can be answered by time down through the ages, 
man has come to agree upon various units of time to record or measure these observed events. Such measurements give us standards as frames of references to compare, arrange, structure, and organize these events by. For without frames of references, our reality would be incoherent and quite awkward to process changes of events, let alone make sense of what those changes might mean. So man has devised various units of measure for time. Such units would be seconds, minutes, hours, days, years. All of these units are used to manage his affairs from month to month, year to year. Now, it's not that difficult for us to determine how old members of our family are, or even our friends, for this too is a measure of time. That's not difficult, right? We have pictures and birth records that help make these determinations quite clear. But how can we know the age of things that are many, many years older than what we are in age? How can man determine the age of things if science suggests that the earth and the planets are older than the oldest known remains of humankind. You know, there are some people who believe that the earth is only 6,000 years old. They believe this strongly, you see. Now along comes some scientists say that the earth is 4 billion years old. How are we to believe that what scientists say is actually true? Or what the scientists have said or measured is actually true? Who has recorded such events since no man has lived for 4 billion years? And who's to say that all of this talk about meteors hitting the earth 10 million years ago, or 20 million years ago, or 100 million years ago, and rocks being over 4 billion years old is actual fact. These are all legitimate questions to raise. Now, in order for man to determine the age of things, he will need to be able to measure time accurately. But what clock or clocks have been ticking for four billion years? Will such measuring devices hold up to the scrutiny of the science, of the scientific method? And is there any evidence that suggests that man has learned to measure time accurately with very little error. For if time can be measured with a high level of certainty, then we should be able to determine, or be able to determine, a good approximate age of not only the earth, but even man himself. 
But in order for us to answer these questions on man, skin color, and human development, we have to go back, way back, way back in time for our answers. Let us now review the history of how time measurements develop. Let us review some historical records and take a trip back in time and see how men of knowledge came to make such claims for the age of things with a high level of accuracy. Since most of you all are not familiar with the science of Eastern philosophy, I'm going to use much of Western philosophy and scientific developments in hopes to bring you, our listening audience, to the direction that I'm moving towards. Even if I attempted to use other knowledge bases from Eastern philosophy, or African history, most of you won't accept it anyway. See, I know what somebody's out there thinking. You say you're a black man, an African, a pan-African. But if I tell you something from the history of ancient Mali, the first thing you're going to bring up is Chancellor Williams' book the destruction of black civilization just so you can disagree with me, a Muslim. You don't want to have anything to do with Muslims or Islam. Man, we don't need to listen to no Muslim. We don't need Islam. That's an Arab religion. And Arabs are white. That's because you don't know you don't know the history of Al Islam and you don't know the history of the people in that region. And I'm not gonna go into it today with you about it. Even more so, you don't even know that the majority of the source of references that Chancellor Williams used in his book, he got it from white scholars who despise Al Islam. They hate it with a passion. In fact, they've been at war with Al-Islam since the Crusades. You talk about the white man like a dog. Saying how he cannot be trusted. That he's a devil. And then the moment we get into this discussion, you turn right around and accept what the white man says about Muslims of the Arabian Peninsula. Yet when you go on your college campuses, when you go on your sets or whatever you want to call them nowadays and discuss in these little groups, in your lectures or at your campus meeting, you talk about everything about Africa but the glorious history of Al-Islam and how the black people of Africa who were Muslims, you don't talk about their great achievements and how they changed the course of humanity forever. All you talk about is Timon, Egypt, hieroglyphics, 
which most of you don't even know how to read. The Hebrew nation. You all are all along about this, all of this which has passed away. Hell, if you had some kind of great knowledge, why are you still working for the white man that you despise? You don't have no knowledge. If you got any knowledge, why don't you build yourself out of your situation? Why do you keep pointing the finger at the white man? Ain't a white man keeping you down right now. Why don't you go make you some toilet paper to wipe your stank? You can't even make the bases and keep yourself alive. But you a God. What God are you? A God of what world? A God of your world? Your delusional world in your mind? Then you get a cold and you can barely get out of the bed. No snotty boogers running, breath stinking, and you running something. You can't even run yourself. You ain't no God in this world. You're not running nothing in this world. You don't have no control over jobs, manufacturing facilities, production facilities, economic situations, the stock market. You can't make the sun rise in this part of the world versus that part of the world. When we know the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, you don't have control of anything. You can't even control the mosquitoes that fly around your head, your head, man. The mosquitoes biting you all on your head and on your neck and behind your ear. You don't have no control. What God? You're the only God in your own delusional mind, your own world. Because in this world, you ain't controlling nothing. You don't even control the knowledge that runs through your mind. You got to get that from some source off the internet, off of YouTube. You ain't going out and and excavating lands and, and going to other nations and going to other geographical areas and digging up fossils and soils and trying to find out the history, the secrets of the what passed by long time ago, many, many years ago, hundred years ago, thousand years ago. You relying on somebody else's sources who themselves are relying on someone else's sources. So you ain't no God. And I haven't seen you demonstrate that you even have any mystical or supernatural powers or magical powers where you can just put your fingers or your, or your hands out in front of you or you, you start closing your eyes and, and start and the knowledge just comes up from Egypt or the knowledge comes up from Africa, Africa or maybe even Bones or something start rising up out of the ground. I don't see you demonstrating that you have power over the forces of creation. Hell, you get a cold, you your back hurts, you get old, 50 years old, you 60 years old, you walking on three legs. Two broke legs with bad knees and a cane. So you haven't demonstrated you know God. Nigga, please. Now, I hate to use that term, but I'm trying to get your attention. Snap out of your stupor. Then you have others, so-called atheists, just to be in disagreement because they don't believe in a higher being. Well, that's okay. And you turn right around, you black atheists, and come from a position using Charles Darwin's theories of evolution, a man in societies. A man who himself thought African people was inferior. 
You use the same positions that the people you despise, who said you were nothing, you use them to argue with the truth that many people try to bring to our people today, our young people today. That's what you do. Yet at the same time, you say you shouldn't trust these people. That's what you say. They're evil. They're the devil. So who are you really following? You follow nothing. You follow ignorance, like everybody else. Look, the answers that you're looking for, the solutions that will help uplift the problems or remove the ills and problems of the African American people is in this Holy Quran. And if you listen, learn how to listen long enough you're going to learn something. The Greek philosopher Aristotle thought the earth had existed eternally. Kind of sounds a lot like some people think today. On the other hand, the Roman poet Lucretius, the intellectual heir to the Greek atomist, believed the Earth's formation must have been relatively recent given that there were no records going back beyond the Trojan War. The Talmudic rabbis, Martin Luther, the Protestant Christian reformer, and others all use the biblical account to extrapolate back from their known history of their time and came up with rather similar estimates for when the earth came into being. The most famous date of the earth's beginning came in from Archbishop James Usher, of Ireland. In 1654, Archbishop Urship, following strictly the genealogy of time found in the Bible, determined that the earth was created, and I want you to listen to this, that the earth was created October 26, 4004 BC, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Therefore, the earth was roughly 6,000 years old and that fossils were the remains of animals that had perished during the biblical flood. And that's something to think about. I can see him using the Bible to go back and try to find a date based on the genealogy of all of the different tribes and and man. But I find it quite revealing how he was able to get to October 26, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. <laughs> you know, that's really a stretch, you know. But anyway, so all these religious men pretty much calculated the earth to be 6,000 years old.
the French scholar Bernard Palissy, who lived from 1510 to 1589, believed the earth was much older than 6,000 years old. Now, he based this on his observations that rain, wind, and the tides were the cause for much of the present-day appearance of the earth, the rock formations, the mountains, the vegetation. He disagreed with the Catholic Church timeline for the creation of the earth, as set forth earlier by Archbishop James Usher. Bernard Palissy wrote that the forces of rain, the wind, and the tidal movements could not have worked so dramatically over such a short period of time that it would take much longer than 6,000 years to produce the changes of the planet based on his observations. Yet, for his contributions towards scientific inquiry, during medieval times, Professor Palissy was burned at the stake in 1589. Hmm. What a bad time for scientific inquiry. In the 1600s, Nicholas Steno formulated our modern geological concepts of deposition the theory of horizontal strata. He concluded that where the layers of earth are not horizontal, there must have been some tilting of some strata since their deposition. He further noted that different strata contain different kinds of fossils, and thus different time frames must have existed. By 1788, James Hutton had also formulated his theory, the theory of cyclic deposition. From the theory of deposition, Hutton visualized that the earth was indefinitely old, showing no vestiges of a beginning nor prospect of an end. Hutton considered the present to be the key to the past, with geologic processes driven by the same forces as those that we can see at work today. This position came to be known in geological science as uniformitarianism. In the mid-1800s, Scottish geologist Sir Charles Lyell expanded on the theory of uniformitarianism to develop his concept called gradualism the view that all features of the Earth's surface are produced by physical, chemical, and biological processes through long periods of geological time. His system was based on two propositions. Number one, that the causes of geological change operating on the Earth's surface included all possible causes that could have acted from the beginning of time. And, number two, that these causes have always operated at the same average levels of energy. These two propositions added up to a steady-state theory of the Earth. Lyell's position suggested that the world has always been, 
or had always been roughly similar to its current state. By measuring the thickness of various sedimentation layers and by estimating sedimentation rates per year, he estimated that the age of the earth was approximately 500 million years old. In 1899, an Irish scientist, John Jolly, attempted to determine the age of the earth by calculating the rate of delivery of salt to the ocean. At that time, it was well established that river water has only a small concentration of salts in them. You know what salt is, right? That's the stuff you put on your french fries, your hamburger, your veggies. Since rivers flow to the seas, the evaporation concentration of salts can be calculated. By this method, the age of oceans will equal the total salt in oceans in grams divided by the rate of salt added per year. From Jolly's calculations, he estimated the earth to be about 100 million years old. Now as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, these methods are quite crude and not very accurate. So man continued to look for other means and ways to determine the age of the earth. The discovery of the natural radioactive decay of uranium in 1896 by Henry Becquerel, the French physicist, opened new avenues in science for the determination of the age of the Earth. Becquerel by accident discovered that uranium salts spontaneously emit a penetrating radiation that could be registered on a photographic plate. Becquerel made further studies and made it clear that this new radiation was not X-ray radiation and that he had discovered a new phenomenon called radioactivity. Not too long after that, the British physicist Lord Rutherford, after defining the structure of the atom, made the first clear suggestion for the use of radioactivity as a tool for measuring geological time directly. And shortly thereafter, in 1907, Professor B.B. Boltwood, a radiochemist at Yale University, published a list of geological ages based on radioactivity. This was a great achievement in the field of science in the efforts to find an accurate way of determining the age of things, and not just the Earth. Although Boltwood's ages of geological time have since been revised, he did show correctly that from that time on, the duration of geological time and time in general would be accurately measured from mere seconds to hundreds to thousands of millions of years. Using this new method of dating, Boltwood estimated the age of the Earth to be 2.2 billion years old. Now, you may have a question here, or maybe even a concern. 
You may be thinking, but I thought something that is radioactive was dangerous and should be avoided. Now you are telling me that something dangerous can be used to measure the course of time? Allah says in the Holy Quran, sometimes you think a thing may be bad for you, may be good for you. And vice versa. So the natural phenomenon, radioactivity, has become one of many excellent tools for man in his quest to measure the age of the earth and the age of man himself. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar You have been listening to the New African Broadcast, a media program dedicated to the consciousness and the positive moral growth of the black youth of America. Thank you for giving us your attention and tune in to our next broadcast. Assalamu alaikum.